All right, take your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah, this is going to be part two of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, it's a deep story about a stubborn heart, a big fish, and a merciful God. That got loud, didn't it? Okay, what was that? Is that you, Terry? I don't know. Power surge. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit. I hope so. Um, a, a deep story about a stubborn heart, a big fish, and a merciful God. So Jonah's a, a, a rebellious man who has a, a, a strong confrontation, really, if we can call it that, uh, with a merciful God. Now, again, we said this last week. It's a unique story. Now, when you see the prophets, usually in the scriptures, they usually have prophets that write prophecies. Jonah's a little bit different. Jonah is a story about a prophet and some of the things he encounters. So rather than a series of prophecies, it's actually a narrative, a story. Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25 in connection with King Jeroboam II. Uh, He was the king of the northern kingdom. This was after the kingdom had split, you know, David and Solomon, and then the kingdom splits north and south. Um, Jonah is mentioned as a prophet in the life of King Jeroboam II. Uh, we estimate that the time frame is around 770 B.C. So that's a good long time ago, right? That's almost 3,000 years ago from us today. All right now, just a little bit of catch up here. Jonah 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Midia, saying... Now this is interesting. If, if you knew Hebrew, you would chuckle real, real quick on that because the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word Jonah means dove. Okay, you think of a dove as like a peaceful sign of peace. Actually, it's kind of an international sign of peace these days. And also the dove was, was one of the messenger birds uh, in the ark, in Noah's ark. Remember that? It brought back the, the, uh, the, the branch. Remember that? To show them that there was light. So Jonah means dove. Amidia means faithfulness. Now, so let's read that with the definition. Now, the word of the Lord came to the dove, the son of faithfulness, saying. Okay. Why is that funny? Well, because Jonah in this story is anything but the son of faithfulness. You, you get it? Everybody say, ha, 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 ha. Just make me feel better. Just laugh at it. <laughs> All right. This is what he is commissioned to do. This is Jonah's assignment. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Anybody remember about Nineveh? What was Nineveh? Remember? It, it was a wicked city, but it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, remember? And in that particular time, Assyria was the, the superpower. They were the, the, really the, the most brutal superpower of their time. That, that was up to that time, really. They were known for their brutality in warfare and also their expertise in warfare. And they very much so uh, were very, very brutal to their enemies. So this is a call to go to this capital city of the worst empire on the planet, and tell them that God doesn't like what they're doing and they better quit. No problem, right? No problem. I'll get right on that. But it says that Jonah decided he wasn't going to go. And it says this about Jonah, that he wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, do you hear the futility in that statement? To flee from the presence of the Lord, that's that's really an uh, uh, impossibility, right? He wants to flee. Now, I showed you this map right here last week. Let's, let's see what he had in mind, okay? It says that he went down to Joppa. He went down to Joppa. We'll get to Joppa a little bit later in, in the uh, telling of the story, maybe a couple weeks from now. Joppa, anybody know of another Bible story that happened in Joppa? Anybody remember Joppa? It shows up in the book of Acts. Remember, that's the place where Peter has his vision 
to go to Cornelius' house, the vision with the sheets and, and the ham and all the stuff that was inside the sheet, all the unclean animals that were inside the sheet, that was in Joppa. Isn't it interesting to me, it, it is to me anyway, that he goes to Joppa, he's supposed to go from Joppa to the assignment, which is to the Gentiles. Peter, later on in the book of Acts, in Joppa, gets his assignment to go to the Gentiles. I just think that's some neat stuff. I, I, the Bible's really neat to me. All right. He's told to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is east. Okay, you see the arrow pointing right there? Nineveh is east. He decides, I'm going to Tarshish. Tarshish is as far west as you can possibly go. See, the, 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 the New World hasn't been discovered yet, right? That comes later with Christopher Columbus and all those kind of guys. The New World hadn't been discovered. This point of Spain is the last harbor before you get into that great Atlantic Ocean. So this is, he, he goes, in his mind, he said, I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can. You got that? Okay, so the equivalent for us today, let, let's say we lived in, in South Florida somewhere. God said, I want you to go to New York, and I got you, I'm going to give you a message to tell the people in New York. And instead of you going to New York, you go to San Diego. You see what I'm talking about? Just trying to get away from it all. It says that he went down to Joppa, he paid the fare, and he went down into it. So to catch us up where we, where we were, we got a storm, we got a great fish, and then in chapter 2, Jonah prays a prayer. Have you been reading the, the story with me? I hope you have. Keep, keep doing that because this stuff just keeps coming alive the more you read it. Jonah prays this prayer. At the end of the prayer in Jonah 2.10, this is where we stopped last week. We left that poor boy in the fish all week long. Okay, now we got to get him out today, right? Jonah 2.10, it says this. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And guess where it vomited at? You know, that's a bad word. Guess where it spit him out at? <laughs> it spit him out right in the direction of Nineveh, Right? Evidently, he had taken a little bit of journey across the Mediterranean Sea there, and that, sw that fish swam with Jonah in its belly all the way back to that seashore. And Jonah probably, it's probably spit him out pretty good ways from Nineveh, because Nineveh's not on the coast. It probably spit him a pretty good ways. He still had to get up and walk out his assignment. Now, notice the irony right here. The Lord spoke to Jonah. Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. Flat out, I'm not going to do it. The Lord speaks to the fish. What's fish do? Fish does it. <laughs> Jonah doesn't even have as much faith as a fish. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's, it's, the story just keeps bringing these, these uh, satirical points, these kind of comedic, funny points to say, you know what? This man is not a good man. That's the one thing we find out about Jonah. If you read the whole story, you find out he's not a really good dude, you know? All right, now let's pick up some new ground here. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Say that with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. Now, okay, so we've got a little bit of idea about Jonah, and we've got a little bit of idea of, of God in this story. Now what, what do you think about Jonah so far? What do you think about him? He's pretty hard-headed, isn't he? See, he reminds you of anybody you know. Never mind. Look, we'll get to that later. He's pretty hard-headed. What else about him? I mean, he acts on his hard-headedness too now. He's not just stubborn and staying in one spot and said, I'm not, I shall not be moved. He literally goes with it, doesn't he? Okay. 
What, what do you, what else, any, any other insights about Jonah thus far? He, he, well, that's a good one right there. He wanted to be the captain of his own ship, and he found out if he's the captain of his own ship, he always loses control. That, that's the, one of the ironies. He, he wants to be in control, but he absolutely does what? He loses control. He has no, no say in this thing after this gets so far along. Now, what do you think about God so far in this Jonah story? We're getting a little partial picture of God dealing with his, his servant here, dealing with his son. What do you think about God so far? He's, God's determined and patient to work with this man to get him on track, isn't he? So God sends this storm in mercy, really. He sends this, get this idea. We've talked about this life. He sends a storm to save this man's life. I look back on my life and some of my storms make sense like that. God's determined. God's patient. God's drawing. God can also be a little severe sometimes, can he? It's like... It's like mercy, 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 boom. Isn't that how life is sometimes? I mean, I hope you had some parents that kind of taught you some of that. If you didn't, we'll learn the lessons as we go. But, you know, my mom and dad did, okay, 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 boom. <laughs> Daddy dropped the hammer, you know what I'm talking about? We see some of this stuff about God. We see he can also be pretty severe in his judgments. Now, did you see that phrase? It came to Jonah. A second time. A second time. Here we see, again, God's mercy extended to this man. Does, let me ask you this about God. Does God really want to take this man out? No. Certainly not. Could he have? A storm? He could have let him drown? He, 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 the fish? I mean, you, you thought the story would be over if you're reading it and didn't know anything about it. You're like, oh, well, there it is. Put the period on the end of that sentence. This, this cat's gone. Literally. But God keeps extending mercy, mercy, mercy to him. And here we see it extended again. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now this is something we learn about God in this story and we learn about it in the Old Testament. We certainly learn about it through Jesus that God is the God of another chance. Aren't you glad of that? He's the God of another chance. Jonah needed another chance. In fact, in this story, Jonah's going to get about 10 chances. You know that? You read this, he just gets chance after God just keeps dealing with his, his arrogance. God keeps dealing with his ignorance. God keeps dealing with all of his rebellion. But God gave Jonah another chance over and over and over. Jonah needed another chance. What about Nineveh? Nineveh needed another chance. What about us? <laughs> we need it too, don't we? Thank God for a second time. So this, this is what we're going to do. Let's, let's read a few verses and let's talk about it. Let's read a few verses, talk about it. This kind of story time kind of deal. All right. Verse three. So Jonah arose. Finally. You, you kind of read the story and you're like, finally. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Now that's, that's kind of another a, a big comedic element, the word in Hebrew right there would be just Nineveh was huge. It's, it just says it's a huge city. A three days walk. Now, a, a day's walk in their time would have been something like uh, 10 to 15 miles. Okay? So this, this is a big city in all of its outskirts and all that. And Jonah is going to take a three-day evangelistic tour through this city. And Jonah began to enter the city 
on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And, and you can hear something inside of Jonah like, Yeah. Yeah. Really, you can. Have you ever heard a preacher preach and he preached so hard it's almost like he liked preaching hard? You know? Now, there, there, there are needs for us to, to preach tough messages sometimes and give strong words. But there's something wrong with the guy who just really likes to just... There's something wrong with that. That's not the Spirit of God, really. And something's going on inside of Jonah. I, I can hear him now. This is my conjecture, but I can hear him say... Nineveh shall be overthrown. And y'all deserve every bit of it. <laughs> that was his comment to himself. You know, that's, that's, that's what he's feeling. And we're going we're gonna to see that a little bit later. It's going to unfold very, very true to that. All right. So 40 days. That was Jonah's message. It was short. It wasn't very sweet. Five Hebrew words, eight English words. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God is going to turn this wreck of a chaotic society. He's going to turn it around. Now, imagine this now. Imagine this. Now, here's the intimidation factor. Imagine walking among your enemies. They're the greatest superpower that the world's known up to this point. And imagine going through the streets and saying this. That's a tough thing, isn't it? I got to give him kudos for that. Because that's a tough thing to do, to walk among your enemies and, and, and stand in defiance of them and tell them that they're wrong. And, you know, this kind of message is never popular. It's never popular. It raises all sorts of questions for us, too. Because if God is so merciful and kind, how could he destroy an entire city? You know, it raises some of those kind of questions. And, and we would be good to think about those kind of things. And, and I think that's what we're going to get into a little bit next time we talk. Talk about how, you know, would it be right for God not to judge Assyria? Would it be right for him just to let them continue down that path and just keep destroying life after life? Would that be right? Would that be merciful? No, certainly not. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then an amazing thing happens in verse number five. Amazing thing happens. It's not a very long sermon. I could never preach a sermon like that. <laughs> it's way too short, you know. I, I'm thinking about, okay, uh, what did they do? So I got to tell them what they did. Uh, what about uh, who, who, who have they offended? I got to tell them about God. And what does overthrown mean? That means not good stuff, you know. You got to go through all the points and unpack it. But Jonah just simply proclaims it very simply, very straight to the point. And I believe, personally, now this is my conjecture again, I believe he wants to just say it, get out of the town, and then go watch the fireworks happen. That's what I think he wants to do. But something else happens. Something unexpected happens in this story. Remember, the Ninevites are the worst of the worst. Their MO was to go into a town, take it over militarily. Now, this is kind of graphic, but they would take the leadership of the town that they conquered or the nation that they conquered, they would take the leadership out, and what they would do to the leaders, they would literally fillet them is what the record says. Right in front of the people. They were brutal. I mean, these, these are not nice people. It's not a nice place to live. But God does something amazing here. It says in verse number five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. I thought it would say they believed Jonah. 
But they made a connection with his message that said they believed God. And the people proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Uh-oh, something's really happened. Something amazing has happened. Now, who would have thought, who would have thought, okay, the Ninevites would be quick to repent and quick to believe God? Who would have thought? This is not the first conflict that the Hebrews have had with the Assyrians. It certainly won't be the last. They're going to have a big conflict with them in 50 years from now. The irony is this. Again, here's another one of these comedic points. The irony is this. Compare the Ninevites and Jonah. The Ninevites hear the word of the Lord and they do what? They instantly repent. What, what about Jonah? He hears the word of the Lord. He rejects it. He knows God's in the storm. He still doesn't repent. He knows the storm gets worse and worse. Everybody is throwing luggage off. They're throwing over cargo, all kinds of things on the ship. He still doesn't repent, even for the sake of the other people. He still, he just keeps hardening himself every, and, and instead, instead of him saying, God, I'm going to drop to my knees. You can cause this storm to stop and spare these people. Instead, he says, just pick me up and throw me in the sea. I would rather drown than repent. You know, he keeps saying this kind of thing. I, and then the fish comes, finally. Finally, we see some signs of hope in this man. But the Ninevites, they were quick to repent. Do you, do you notice that it says that they were fasting? Later, it's going to say that they took sackcloth and ashes. Now, what, what is all of that? That's, that's not really things we do today. That's more ancient practices. But what is all that? The fasting, the sackcloth and ashes, and they believe God. All of that is expressions of humility. Because, you know, belief should always have action with it. Do you realize that? Sometimes when we say things like, I, I believe, or I believe Jesus, we just do this, this mental calculation and say, yeah, I believe he lived, I believe he died, and I believe he rose again. And then a lot of people just walk right out that door, and they just go about their merry way, as if nothing happened. The Bible never presents belief like that, does it? The Bible always says that if a person truly believes, you're going to see some fruit in their life, that there's going to be some change. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a drastic thing happen among these Ninevites. They take sackcloth upon themselves. It means they strip themselves of their good garments. They put on these rags, so to speak. They fast and they stand in ashes and they express their humility before God. Remember this, true faith always has works. Faith plus works equal life. Faith, where we say we have faith, but we have no works with it, you're DOA. You're dead already. That's not true faith in the scriptures, right? Verse number six. Now imagine that verse number six, that this first little phrase is on a page turn. We're, we're reading a book, and imagine it's on a page turn, and we got time to contemplate, okay? So the word comes to the Ninevites, the people of the city, from the, the richest to the poor, the greatest to the least, they repent. Next verse. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. Now this is a ruthless man. We got a page turned. We got time to look at that sentence. What would you think? What, 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 what do you think in your mind is about to happen? The buck stops here, doesn't it? This is where Jonah is going to meet his end. The king of Nineveh. Are you serious? You're going to tell him what to do? But the word came to the king of Nineveh. Now, verse 6 continues. 
Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Are you serious? I mean, the conviction of God is thicker than peanut butter in Nineveh. I mean, it is thick. The king, now look, look at this picture. Did you see the picture right here? It's a great picture of what it means to come to God. What does it say? He arose from his throne. Isn't that the first thing that always has to happen to all of us? you got to learn to get off of your high horse, off of your throne, and realize that you are not the one calling the shots. And, and the king of Nineveh does this. Are we called to any less? Then he laid aside his robe. Imagine a king's robe, especially the Assyrian king. It would be something really nice. He laid aside his robe. I, I get the idea that he laid aside his, you know, the Bible talks about robes of righteousness. I, I kind of get the picture of him laying aside his own righteousness. I thought I was okay. I thought I was right. But I've come into collision course with this God who says that I'm not right anymore. I'm going to take off my robe of righteousness laid at his feet and instead humble myself. That's what the sackcloth and ashes are. It's a great picture right there of what it means to come to Christ. And then the king goes further. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying this. Now this is the king's decree. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? That's big. Did you see that? I mean, this king was so serious about repentance. He said, I want the cows to repent. <laughs> I don't know what they've been chewing on. The wrong cut, I guess. I don't know. But he said, I, I mean, we got to go deep. Our whole society has to be revolutionized. This word is going to cost us. If we don't make a change, life as we know it is over. I think we all kind of come to a point like that sometimes, don't we? And he says, if we do this right and sincere, maybe God will turn from his fierce anger and we won't die. Now, we, we can study this out a little bit later as we talk through some of these talking points about what it is to really be saved and, and to repent. But this is a great display of faith from a pagan king. Now, get that. A pagan king. That's amazing to me. It's a miracle. It's, it's actually one of the greatest revivals in human history that's happening right here in Nineveh. And then in verse number 10, it says this. This is the end of this chapter right here. It's summing it all up. Then God saw their works. Say that with me. Then God saw their works. He looked at Nineveh. He looked at the greatest. He looked at the least. He looked at what the king was doing. He looked at what the cows and the dogs and all the goats and the sheep were doing. And he said, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, how did this story start in verse number two? What did God see when he looked at Nineveh? What did God see? He saw their wickedness, didn't he? 
He saw all the things, the violence and all the things that were happening. He saw their wickedness. Now God looks upon them and he sees their works and is telling us that you can be the kind of person that goes from wickedness to good works. God can do that kind of work in a people. God can even do that kind of work in a society. May he do it here. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. That's a good day, isn't it? That's a good day. I like to say it like this. It's one of the greatest revivals ever recorded. If you repent, God will relent. Can you say it with me? If you repent, God will relent. You know what relent is? It means to kind of pull back. To not do it. To relent from doing something. If you and I repent, God will relent. Now, what if the story ended here? It'd be a good story, wouldn't it? It'd be a great story about a prophet who struggled with his calling. And God used this man, even though he was imperfect in all of his ways, God used this man to bring about a great revival and Nineveh was saved. If it ended there, as many people tell in the story, it ends right there. But there's another episode to Jonah's life. And it's quite bizarre, actually. Okay? Now, let's look at this, this last chapter right here real quickly. We're good. Uh, the ice cream truck won't be here till 4 o'clock, so we got plenty of time. Isn't that right? Now, look, look at this. The end of chapter 10, God saw their works, and he was pleased. The beginning of the next chapter says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. You see the irony again? God is greatly pleased with what he sees in Nineveh. Jonah is not. What is going on with this dude? What in the world? The greatest thing that could ever happen. I mean, there's not an evangelist or pastor or preacher of any kind, a prophet of any kind. If they went into a town and they gave the word of the Lord and everybody came in line with it, that would be good. We'd put that on the resume. You know what I'm saying? But this guy says, no way. What in the world? What's wrong with him? And instead of him not even liking it, it says that he became really mad. And we're going to find out who he's really mad at. Who's he really get mad at? He gets really mad at God. Okay. Question, is Jonah wiser than God? What do you think he, how, how do you think he'd answer that question? Well, how is he answering that question? Is Jonah, Jonah holier than God? You've heard of that idea. Somebody acts like they're holier than thou. You know, the thou being God or whatever. Holier. That's what Jonah's acting like. That he's holier than God. That he won't forgive these people's sins. But God would, really? And then he begins to tell God why he's so mad. So Jonah prayed to the Lord. It's, it's nice that the Bible calls it a prayer. He really goes off. He launches. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had anybody launch or you ever done that to somebody? You just said, I'm, I got to tell you, girl, I'm tired of this. <laughs> what are Leanne doing looking around? <laughs> so he just goes off. He clucks off. He says, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country, minding my own business? feeding my own goat, didn't bother nobody. I was doing my own thing, was over at my own house, didn't want to bother with them. I showed her when I bothered with Nineveh. And he said, I ran to Tarshish. 
He says, this is why I ran. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's a little bit of a drama queen here, isn't he? Don't you kind of get that, that deal? Why is he so mad at God? What, what did he say? You know, God, why I'm so mad at you? Go, go, look, what does he say? You know why I'm mad at you, God? I'm mad at you because you're good. I'm mad at you because you're gracious. I'm mad at you because you're merciful. You know, he gets mad talking like that, you know. I'm mad at you because you don't get mad like me. I'm mad at you because you're abundant in loving kindness. How dare you be like that? I'm mad at you because you're pulling back from what you said you was going to crush them. Man. You ever seen a preacher mad? This preacher's mad. Then he says, just kill me. Just take me. I don't want to live in a world where you're this nice to people that aren't nice. (laughs) He pitches a fit, basically. You know, I, I, I just can't believe that you would forgive them. Just go ahead and kill me. Kind of reminds you of a young child, doesn't it? Do you get that picture, moms and dads? you see that? It's kind of a young child at the grocery store. They get to the, the, the checkout line, and I, I just wish they wouldn't even have this mess at the checkout line. You know what I'm talking about? They got every sort of candy, and they're all right there at the same size of their eyes looking right across the cart. That's a favorite candy right there. And then they go, and they reach, and they get their arms a little bit longer, and they reach after, and they get it, and they're happy. Yes, yes, I'm so happy. I'm so good. I got, I got me a Snickers bar. I'm good. I'm good. And, and you look over there, and you, what do you do? Uh-uh. You ain't getting that. And you, and you take it out of the hand and put it back and say, you can't have that. And then what does that kid do? Wah! He pitches a fit. I just want to die. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like what Jonah says. <laughs> My life is over now. I can't have this candy bar. Wah, wah, wah. You know, it happens. I mean, anybody with kids knows that really does happen, doesn't it? (laughs) And he accuses God of just being good. Now, the interesting thing about that little quote, go back to that little quote there, Jonathan, that, that, that that verse before. That for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That is a quote that happens throughout the Old Testament, really, starting in Exodus, I believe it's Exodus 34. It's a quote that happens throughout. And it's actually how God introduced himself, himself to Israel as he gave them the Ten Commandments. See, I want you to know that even though I'm giving you all these commandments, that I'm a gracious, kind, loving God. God introduces himself like this to Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, I believe it's spoken four or five different times, God says this about himself. I'm gracious, I'm kind. Now, here's, here's our jump right here, our leap. We, we don't get that out of the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we don't see God like that. <laughs> we'll get on that a little bit later. That's, that's kind of a deep thought, actually. Now, the irony is, why, why is Jonah alive? Why is Jonah even alive? Why does he even still exist? Why hasn't he been squashed like a bug already? Because God is gracious, and God is kind, and God is loving, and God is patient, and he wants to relent from doing harm. That's, that's the irony of it. He, he accuses God of not being gracious, but the only reason he's alive is because God is gracious. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, is it right for you to be angry? Now, son, just calm down. 
Let me just ask you a real plain question. And my mama would do this. What are you mad about? <laughs> but God didn't do that. I don't think he did anyway. Is it right for you to be angry? You know what Jonah says? I don't want to talk about it. He doesn't say nothing. He walks away. I mean, God asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? And he gives him the hand. I'm, I'm done here. I'm walking away. He does that. All right. He just walks away. Now, is it right for you to be angry? Now, that's an interesting question right there because the last time we saw a question similar to that ask was in Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and Abel. And Jonah is on the edge of something very dangerous. He doesn't even know that that... that Remember when Cain was so mad because his sacrifice wasn't received. And he says, God comes to him and says, is it right for you to be so angry? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? And he says, if you're not careful, this crouching beast is going to launch on you and eat you up. Jonah is in some real dangerous territory right here now. That's what he's telling us. All right, verse number five. So Jonah went out of the city sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Do you see him? He got him a little nice high hill right there and put him a little shade over him, got him under a little tree right there somewhere. And then what, what's he doing? What's it sound like he's doing? He's waiting on the fireworks. This can't be true. This can't be happening. I, I just can't wait. I'm going to sit right here. I, 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 I believe he got him some popcorn. <laughs> and he just sit there and he said, I'm, I'm, I want to watch this show. I want to see. You know what? I, I don't know if he said it or not, but you know what he wants to see? He wants to see Sodom and Gomorrah is what he wants to see. He wants to see this fire and brimstone following these people. And it's like he's holding out some sinister hope that God would destroy Nineveh. But God comes to him again, being merciful and gracious. It says, the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Gave him some shade. Evidently, it was a hot day. That it might shade for his, be shade for his head and deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Oh, he's happy again. Huh. This guy's bipolar. Bad. <laughs> he's mad, angry. Oh, oh, shade. Thank you, Lord. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that the plant died. It withered away. This, this idea of prepared, have you been picking up on that? God prepared an assignment for Jonah. God prepared a storm for Jonah. God prepared a fish. God prepared a second chance. God prepared a message for him to preach. God prepared a plant. Now God is going to prepare a worm. It's getting kind of weird, isn't it? Isn't this a weird story? I mean, it's okay to read your Bible and say, whoa, that's, that's strange, because it's weird, okay? This, this little bout that he and God are having. Remember that phrase about the king. He arose, and basically it says he got off of his throne. He arose from his throne. What has Jonah done again with his throne? I mean, he, it sounded like he got off of it when he chose to go to Nineveh. But now what has happened, because it didn't go the way he wanted, what has Jonah done again? He got back on his throne. Does that sound like anybody you know? We, we kind of do that with throne stuff, don't we, in our life? We're on it one day. We get off of it say, Lord, forgive me, I don't want to get... And then something happens. We don't like it. Boom. We get back on that throne again, don't we? That's kind of our experience, unfortunately. 
Jonah's showing us that it's not always easy to walk with God. Let's wrap it up. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a, a vehement east wind. Anytime you say east wind blowing in the Bible, it's almost always not good, okay? And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So Jonah was just grateful for the plant. And now he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He swung again. Then God speaks to Jonah. Question again. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, when God asks you a question like that, what's usually, what should be your answer? Let's go with whatever you think should be said right here, because that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> Jonah straight up, he says, yes, it is right for me to be angry even to death. I'm mad about it, and I'm glad about being mad. And then God brings the punch, the reason for this whole story. The Lord said to Jonah, You have had pity on the plant for which you had not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And the story ends. What do you think? It's kind of odd ending, isn't it? Why, why is it so open-ended? The, the gut punch is this. Jonah is written to be a mirror where we see ourselves. Do you get that? In fact, a lot of scripture is written like that, isn't it? It, it? In fact, the law is supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be a mirror that you see yourself in. So we see Jonah and we're supposed to see ourselves. We see our lack of love. We see our lack of devotion. We see our lack of mercy. We see our lack of our fluctuating commitments to God. We see even our anger at God. You see some of that? If you haven't been tracking like that, go back and read it again. Let it speak to you. And in stark contrast, God's commitment to his mercy and to my well-being just keep shining through and through. God wants me and you to be free from our toxic attitudes and our toxic behaviors. And he's committed to that. And I think the story rings to this, and we're going to get on later about talking about enemy love a little bit more later. But let's just ask this question as we wrap it up. How will you react when God forgives your enemies? Before you jump up on the holy cloud and say, oh yeah, thank God for it. That's a tough thing sometimes. How, how will you react when God forgives those who wronged you some way? I mean, in like a real way. I'm not like talking about get your per parking place at Piggly Wiggly. I'm talking about like for real, betrayed you or someone you loved or hurt someone you loved. What, what will you do when God forgives the one who hurt you real deeply? Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's a former friend. Maybe it's a different people group that you don't have much care for? Maybe it's just all out an enemy. What, what will you do when God forgives you? I mean, you know what? I mean, what would you do if your ex won the lottery? I mean, what in the world? What's, what's happening here? God, you're supposed to squish them. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And we ended last week with this phrase. 
God loves the people that we don't even like. And Jonah's wrestling with all this, and we are too. So how, how do we respond? How do we respond? There's a lot in Jonah, actually, in these four little chapters, in this little story. There's a lot. How, how, how do you respond? Well, let, let's rewind a little bit. If, if you're running from God, stop running. Stop running. He can outrun you. And you know what? Whenever you get to where you're running to, he'll be there. <laughs> and you will too. Oh boy, a friend of mine, he used to say all the time, he used to say, uh, wherever, you, wherever you go, that's where you are. You can't ever run from you. How do you, well, you may need to step off the throne of your own heart and let God become the king of your life. Jonah had to. Or let's say it like this. Maybe you need to step off the throne of your heart again for the second time, for the 32nd time, for the 155th time, for the 842nd time. You know, we struggle like that, don't we? And humble yourself before God, and you'll find a love that can quench your thirst. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us. It's a whole lot here. Probably strikes all of us in different ways. Help us, Lord. Help us to respond. Help us to respond readily, quickly, and sincerely and humbly. We don't want to be the kind of people that have gotten so stubborn that we won't even hear you. Heal our hearts, Lord. Heal our hearts. Tenderize our hearts, Lord. I guess that's what the storm was about, the fish was about, all the calamity was about. It was really about tenderizing a really hard place in a man. I pray you'd help us. Jesus, you called us to some pretty incredible things. You told us to love our enemies. And together we just acknowledge that that's a tough thing to do. And as you were patient with Jonah, thank you for your patience with us. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.